Hey, Deserving Listeners, the other day I put out a call on the Facebook fan page and on the Discord channel asking people to submit their questions about narcissism, and I thought I would answer those questions here. Uh, First person wrote in saying, What are things we should avoid doing when dealing with narcissists? What are things we should avoid doing when dealing with narcissists? Uh, End of question. Well, the first thing I'll say is, what do you mean by narcissists? Because the Internet means a lot of different things by that. Sometimes they're referring to narcissistic personality disorder, which I will tell you that the vast majority of lay people do not understand what that means. And most many clinicians in my anecdotal experience also don't understand what narcissistic personality disorder is. So are we talking about, uh, oftentimes on the internet, what I think people are talking about are psychopaths or any social personality disorder. Uh, because a part of being a psychopath is to be narcissistic. And I, I wonder sometimes if people are talking about psychopaths, meaning that these individuals don't have uh, compassion or care for other people. They are, they're very callous. They, they're, they're, they're con artists. They use other people, um, which is a very different personality than a quote-unquote someone who suffer from, suffers from narcissistic personality disorder. Or are we just talking about someone who's really self-centered, in your opinion? But anyway, if, you know, how, how, what are some things you should do when quote unquote dealing with a narcissist? Well, the first thing I would say is try to understand their trauma. This is what I do because it one helps me to have compassion for them, which I consider to be uh, a central, I don't know, virtue. But the other is that it explains a lot of their behavior. If I'm feeling put down, if I'm feeling discounted, if I'm feeling devalued, and I have a satisfactory conceptualization of their narcissistic injury as a child and their compensation for it as an adult, then I can interpret what's happening with much less stress. Uh, I can say, hmm, well, I'm, I, I feel devalued by this person, not because I am devalued or I lack value, and not because this person wants to devalue me, but because this person feels devalued and felt devalued as a young child and is now suffering from the consequences of that. And so not only do I have compassion for that person, but I also just take it less personally and I also don't try to fight it because I'm not going to be able to, you know, if if I work with this person, I'm not going to be able to heal their traumas such that they'll stop devaluing people around them. So it becomes a lot easier to cope when I see it correctly. Um, But I'm guessing what you're looking for are like tips on like what to do. And, uh, you know, the internet is rife with articles about, you know, how to deal with a narcissist. And I find that these articles, all of them to be... (laughs) I don't know, just my perception is that a lot of people are out there feeling hurt, which is real. And they've been harmed by someone. They've been dumped or broken up with or cheated on or fired from a job or abused or yelled at or um, harmed in some way. And they are having a hard time coping, which is real. And all that is real. The hurt is real. Being dumped hurts, being broken up with hurts, being cheated on hurts, being abused hurts. Those are real things. And the individuals are looking for some kind of label to put on the person that hurt them. And they come across all this literature on the internet, quote unquote literature about narcissism. And it seems right because, you know, when you're harmed by someone, there's a a natural conclusion that this person doesn't, you know, and I've talked about this before, but 
So let's say that you're in the you're in the beginnings of a breakup with with a relationship. You've been in you've been with him for seven years, and he's he's cheated on you recently. He's not returning your phone calls, or he's not being very nice, or you you cry and he just stares at you or something, and it's hurtful. And you're looking at this person, you'd be like, I don't feel like this person cares about me, or she when you're saying you're just so sad that you're breaking up, she just stares blankly at you like, yeah, well, anyway. So it feels very hurtful in the moment. That's real. And no one can take that away from you. That's valid. But then we start wondering, but why is she doing this to me? Why is he doing this to me? A common reason is because they're just not into you anymore. Or... Um, you were a jerk face to them for five years and now they're just fed up with you or whatever. You know, there's a lot of reasons why people break up with people. But those are harder to swallow or harder to imagine, whereas a very easy conclusion is that person, there's something wrong with their psychology. They are being cold to me and, you know, unnice to me (laughs) because there's something wrong with them. What's wrong with them? Well, they seem very self-centered. They seem very unwilling or unable to see my pain. Huh. So they're kind of like more focused on themselves and they're selfish because they're focused on their needs and not mine. Huh. Let me type that into the internet. Well, instantly you get all these hits on narcissism, which is a huge leap from someone's breaking up with me and doesn't seem to care about my feelings to that person has narcissistic personality disorder. (laughs) And so I think that's, but anyway, um, because narcissistic personality disorder is extremely rare condition. Um, uh, contrary to what some, uh, what I believe to be extremely dubious researchers out there, I think twinge there, there are people out there that are uh, claiming that narcissism is on the rise. And I, I've done a whole deep dive. Uh, I can't remember what I called it, but if, if just go to my website or website and type in to the episode list, type in narcissism or something. There's uh, maybe I call it like, are we becoming more narcissistic or something? And uh, there's, it's a very difficult question to answer. And two, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that we are becoming quote unquote narcissistic. If anything, we're just becoming more self-confident, which is a good thing. You want children and young adults to believe in themselves. Um, you don't want them to feel superior. There's a difference. Okay. So your, your question is, um, what are things we should avoid doing when dealing with narcissists? Well, um, you should do whatever you do in any relationship. You should think about, you know, are your needs being met? Maybe you have to draw boundaries if you're being harmed. So, you know, there's nothing about someone with narcissistic personality disorder that would say, like, with these strange humans, you have to do this whole different set of behaviors. It's it's the same that you would do in any relationship. And what I'll say, what I've done in relationship, and everyone with narcissistic personality disorder is completely different. I mean, I know dozens of people clinically and otherwise who have narcissistic personality disorder and they're all completely different. Uh, having a personality disorder does not describe who you are. It's just a part of your schemas and a part of your traumas really. And says, you know, someone with PTSD, um, you wouldn't say, Oh, that person has PTSD. I know who they are. Of course you don't. That the same with narcissism. So, um, If I, you know, at the top of my head, when I think about a handful of people that I've had in my personal life who have been on the narcissistic spectrum, 
some things that I do are I have low expectations regarding them listening to me. So I, I don't try to get my needs met from them listening to me like intently, like really listening to me. I also, um, what else do I, I also go into interactions with them knowing they're going to talk a lot. So I just, you know, have that expectation. They can also sometimes be kind of exhausting, not, not always, but uh, so I have to take them in bits and pieces. I can't, of the people in my life who are on the narcissistic spectrum, I, it's hard for me just to like hang out for long periods of time um, unless they're lower on the spectrum. You know, like Umberto, for example, is self-described as on the spectrum. I think we've identified him as being like 15% or something, which is pretty low, but, you know, it's there. Um, I can hang out with him, but people, other people that are in my personal life, and this is mainly in the past, you know, uh, years ago. Anyway, point is, is that there's that. I will also potentially not expect them to understand me when I say that I've been hurt by them because of their, you know, narcissistic perceptual problems. It will be hard for them to accept they've done anything wrong. And so I, with varying levels of success, will avoid trying to get them to admit that they've done something wrong. (laughs) Um, So there's that. Uh, But yeah, let's go on to another question. All right, this next question. Where's the line between narcissism and healthy self-worth? It's a great question. Huge topic, but in a very small nutshell, I will say that for... And this is where the confusion with twinge and all these notions of society becoming more narcissistic... And if I remember right, when I looked into the research, so there's a group of researchers going around, particularly on like right wing media channels, talking about how young people today are narcissistic and millennials are so self-centered and everyone who's has a selfie stick and everyone who has an Instagram account, everyone's so narcissistic today. And it's tempting to believe, uh, I guess, for some people. But uh, as a skeptic, I am always like, well, where's the evidence and what do we mean? And when we look into the research there, I could, again, you could just do a whole, uh, listen to my whole deep dive. Let me look up the name of that episode, actually. The episode is called Are Millennials Narcissistic? This was uh, published in the end of 2018. Are Millennials Narcissistic? It should be on YouTube and all the other places, uh, you know, all the other places where the podcast is. But um, if I remember right, the research was, you know, these researchers say, oh, every, you know, we've studied it and people are more narcissistic today than they were 50 years ago. But when we actually look at the way they measured it, they use this one measure that's been around for a long time that supposedly, uh, so the way that these measures work is you give someone a survey, you ask them a bunch of questions, and then from those questions, you score it. And there's usually an index of how narcissistic that person is. And the, you know, there's like 30 questions. I can't remember the amount of questions, but let's say there's 30 questions. And some of the questions are pretty obviously related to narcissism. Like, I believe I am superior. Do you agree or disagree? So if someone believes they're superior, then yeah, they are narcissistic (laughs) to believe you're superior to other people. But there are other questions on this survey, uh, this measure of narcissism that says something like, I like myself or I believe my opinions are important. 
And when you add up all the questions on this measure, then yeah, you know, if someone believes they're superior and they believe their ideas are awesome and they like themselves, then we start looking at a construct or a, you know, uh, an index of someone's narcissism. But if on average, some of the items on this measure are not actually measuring narcissism, but are measuring self-esteem, like a question, I believe my opinions are important, or I like myself. Um, And if so, and this is my uh, speculation based on my take on all the research is that um, uh, a lot of people, millennials today, have been parented better than Generation X and other people before us. Millennials were parented by parents who understood more about parenting. They understood that kids should not be abused just, you know, and and ignored. Um, Now, can millennials, uh, can the parents of millennials be terrible? Yeah, absolutely. But on average, there's a, I don't know, a good possibility that parents in Western society are just better with attachment, are less abusive, are more stable than they were 50, 100 years ago. Um, you know, it's hard to know that. And of course, this could be a just so story. But when we look at the research, we find that millennials, when they fill out that que- that questionnaire about narcissism, they're not endorsing more often these items like I am superior, but they are endorsing these items like I believe in myself or I like myself. So, it's a possibility that millennials are just healthier than we were in the past, but because of the uh, way that this measure of narcissism is designed, it looks like millennials are slightly more narcissistic than they were in the past. Anyway, so um, healthy narcissism are things like, so you're asking what's the line between narcissism and healthy self-worth? Well, healthy self-worth is believing in yourself, having good self-esteem, mostly liking yourself or liking yourself, even though you have some flaws, you know, recognizing your flaws. Uh, To be narcissistic is to, on the surface, believe that you are perfect, but underneath that to feel like you're worthless. Um, To have healthy self-worth is to say, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I think I'm pretty rad. Um, I have some flaws, but I even kind of consider it sort of rad that I can recognize my flaws and accept my flaws, that kind of thing. Um, healthy self-worth involves mostly thinking that you're likable and lovable, mostly believing that you can accomplish things. When people disapprove of you or criticize you or reject you, you have enough self-esteem to weather the storm. You stick up for yourself in a reasonable manner, and you have a normal amount of self-bias, like you know, when I, when I make a mistake, so this is a cognitive bias that, you know, for better or for worse, when I make a mistake, make a mistake, it's okay. But when others make a mistake, it's not okay. You know, these are just normal or quote unquote healthy levels of, of self-centeredness or self-worth. Unhealthy narcissism is a completely different thing. And I want to really divorce these things. Narcissism is not more self-worth. You understand? Narcissism is no self-worth but you've manufactured self-worth in a fake way to make yourself get through the day. Narcissism as a personality is resorted to in the face of devaluation. 
And this is something that I find the internet doesn't really understand. I, I feel like people think narcissists are so full of themselves. No, they are not. <laughs> Quote unquote, narcissists hate themselves more than anyone could possibly hate themselves, but they have a facade of, of grandiosity and self-importance and superiority because they need that in order to survive. They developed that when they were two years old as a way of surviving devaluation, neglect, and abandonment possibly. So narcissism is the need to believe that you're superior, to distract yourself from feeling like you are worthless. Now, there's a third construct, which is unhealthy self-esteem or non-devaluation-based uh, narcissism. And it's rare, but not a very good look of privilege, essentially. You are a white male, Protestant, you know, heterosexual, cis, uh, rich boy who grew up with privilege and everyone telling you that you're awesome and your parents saying you're meant for greatness and you're better than other people and you're 20 years old and you operate from that place of superiority. You were raised well enough attachment wise that you don't have narcissistic personality disorder. So, you know, you're a relatively healthy differentiated individual, but you've essentially been brainwashed into believing that you're superior to others because that's what people have taught you. And so you operate from that narcissistic superior place, but it's not out of desperation that you feel that way. You've just been brainwashed into believing that. And it's convenient for you to believe that because it, you know, it, it's, it serves you to, to believe that about the world. You know what I mean? So narcissistic personality disorder is resorted to in the face of devaluation. Healthy self-esteem is when you're raised well enough and made to feel like you're lovable enough that you actually internalize that. And then, um, I don't know what to call this third construct, privileged narcissism or um, believing you're better than other beca others because of your identities or something. Um now, this third kind is malleable. In fact, a lot of people, including myself, honestly, as a male, I grew up with a lot of privilege and wasn't taught about it at all in the 80s, 70s, 90s. I don't remember anyone talking, or maybe people talked about privilege um, in the 90s a little bit, but it wasn't talked about very often. And so I didn't understand. Uh, you know, I lived, I, I was swimming in my own privilege and didn't see what it was like to be outside of it and slowly learned, oh, I have privilege. And so prior to learning that, I was operating kind of from that third narcissistic place of, uh, in fact, I remember when I was a kid, I was like seven years old and I, I was trying to fall asleep at night and I was thinking about gender and uh, all the things that uh, are in the world. Like I was thinking, you know, okay, the fastest man person in the world is a man. Uh, Superman is a man. The uh, news anchor is a man. The president is a man. The general of an army is a man. Even the best cook, even though cooking is a woman's thing, the best cook in the world is a man. The best singer in the world is a man. And I thought, huh. Well, I'm going to be a man. And I'm, I remember thinking about that, you know, so this is me interpreting society and trying to figure it out. Now, no one was there to tell me, well, there are systemic uh, barriers set up so that women cannot achieve those kinds of uh, places. 
Uh, and there's nothing inherently different about men and women that makes men better at cooking, for example. It's just that women are denied access to those upper echelons of the field because we live in a very, very sexist society. No one was there to tell me that, and it wasn't obvious when I was seven years old. But my point is, is that I, I remember that moment thinking, huh, men are superior to women. Isn't that interesting? I was just sitting there just... Uh, and I'm sure I'd been told that in, in very subtle ways in, in, through various different uh, methods. And so in that moment at the age of seven, staring into the darkness at night, I had, I had narcissism, a very unhealthy version of narcissism, but it wasn't based on my desire to protect myself from my own devaluation. I had just sort of thought that men were superior because that's what society was telling me. And then I was broken of that uh, when I learned better. <laughs> So, uh, all right, let's go on to another question. I got to go faster. If I'm, I got a lot of questions to get through. All right, this next question is, can narcissism be taught? Can narcissism be taught? Well, I've already talked about this a little bit, but the answer is yes. The behaviors can be taught, but not the condition. You can't teach someone to, be nar- to have narcissistic personality disorder, but you can teach them to act, quote-unquote, narcissistically through modeling or normalization. For example, privilege, like I was talking earlier. But also, if, for example, you come from a family where both your parents were narcissistic, suffered from narcissism, they might not ever apologize. And you as a child, even though you don't have narcissistic personality disorder, might also never apologize as an adult because you, you've just never had it modeled to you, which could be argued is a narcissistic thing to do. But, you know, it just depends on how you see it. All right, this next question, how difficult is it to open the eyes of someone deeply narcissistic to their own behavior? How difficult is it to open the eyes of someone who is deeply narcissistic to their own behavior? Um, how difficult is it? I would say that it's fairly easy because if you can properly conceptualize of the individual, then you can... Uh, it will facilitate compassion from you because you will feel bad for the person and their condition. And then if you explain it to the individual from that place of compassion, then, um, you know, I, I find that it's very easy for me to explain it to people. The people that I've worked with who had narcissistic personality, I've told them that they had narcissistic personality at some point and they never resisted. Well, maybe they did at some point. Well, there was one person I talked to, and I, of course, I've been a therapist for 25 years, so it's hard for me to remember every client, of course, but a lot of the clients that I can think of off the top of my head who had NPD that I worked with, it didn't take long. It, didn't, it wasn't a huge adjustment. In fact, for a lot of them, they rejoiced, re- rejoiced? <laughs> they rejoiced, and it's similar to the, how people with borderline will rejoice when they hear me describe how I see them, because uh, people with narcissism, deep down, have a tremendous amount of needs that aren't being met and they have they have no way of navigating the world to get their needs met but they they want their needs to be met people with narcissism want closeness they want to have uh they want to relax enough to so that their empathy can come out they want to have their needs met they want to be vulnerable but they can't because of what they learned early in life and they can't because they're in this compulsive superiority contest with everyone but underneath that behavior and you know condition and coping mechanism 
is a deep, deep desire to be seen and to be valued and to be heard and to be understood. Because the problem with narcissism is that you feel devalued and your strategy is to make yourself superior, but you know that it's fake. So you never actually get your needs met. You never actually feel valued because you're faking every, you know, you're faking everyone out, including yourself. And you never end up having any kind of corrective experience in the same way that the borderline individual is deeply afraid of abandonment. And because of that fear will be hypervigilant. And because of that hypervigilance will push people away and thus will never have people uh, be secure attached to them or, you know, be challenged that way. The narcissistic individual is, uh, you know, feels devalued and is desperately trying to get valuation and value from other, you know, to be valued by other people by asserting superiority, but they know it's fake. So they're not, and they actually will push people away, you know, because when you're really high on the scale, people will devalue you because they will notice how narcissistic you are. And so you're not getting your knees met. So when I come along and I, and I can look at them and say like, this is what's happening. They'll be like, Oh my God, uh, no one's ever seen me this way before. Thank you. You know? Yeah. And they'll just, you know, they'll cry for an hour every time I talk to them. So, um, that's what narcissistic personality disorder is. Now, are, are these individuals annoying? Yeah, they very much can be. <laughs> can they be abusive? Yes, they very much can be. You know, these individuals are not uh, necessarily not a train wreck in their life and not causing a lot of damage and harm to other people. Um, but, you know, how difficult is it to open their eyes? Uh, you know, I, I find it to be pretty easy. Now, I will say that there is someone I can think of years ago who I treated who had narcissistic personality and she wasn't she wasn't coming it was family therapy and she wasn't coming to me for help with her she was coming to me because she wanted to fix her children and so with her i never had any leverage to uh, talk with her about her personality because um she was never asking me for help, really. She was saying, you know, fix my kids. But I will say, even with her, even though I recognized her condition, I was able to help her to be more vulnerable and help her. I engineered some uh, many corrective experiences with her, even though we never really had the time to talk about why I thought that was helping her. But she, contrary to her defensive schema, became very vulnerable with me and would reach out to me for a lot of corrective experiences. And I provided that, but we just never had the time to really talk about the full picture of her schemas and her problems. And, you know, to be honest, this is something that's, if you're a therapist, I know many of you are uh, really just anyone out there. It's very important to understand that the way the internet and the way people talk about personality disorders or just personality traits or problems is I find very adolescent when we're children, we're like, you know, you're 13 or at least when I was 13 and you have a teacher that you don't like, you're like, my teacher's stupid. You know, he's such a jerk face and he, you know, gives us homework and he doesn't, he, he doesn't let us talk during class. And when we grow up and we're 25 and we're in graduate school and your teacher's giving you a lot of homework or telling you to be quiet in class, you don't have that attitude anymore because you're a grown adult and you're like, well, 
I'm paying money for this class, and if we're going to learn something, I have to be quiet, and I also have to do assignments. And so when it comes to personality traits in other people, we're still all 13-year-olds going like, that person treated me bad. They're hateful. I don't like them. They're evil. I'm going to talk crap about them. I, if, if I see them, I'm going to push them down a flight of stairs. You know, that's normal when you're 13. But when we're 25 and older, we should be like, huh, I wonder how they got there. And I know many of you are like that. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't. But on average, <laughs> you know, when we see narcissism in other people that's annoying to us, uh, as a society, we're like, something's wrong with, you know, I don't like that person. They're evil. They're, they're doing it by uh, choice. Uh, no, they're not. <laughs> you know? And so when you can have compassion for people, no, 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 backing up, when you can properly conceptualize someone and see them for what they really are, then you just naturally have compassion. You know, when I'm, when I was 25 and I was going to graduate school and I had a teacher who was telling me to shut up and do my homework and was giving me lots of homework, it didn't feel good, but I conceptualized it accurately as, well, if I'm going to learn something, my teacher has to say that to me. And when someone with narcissistic personality disorder harms us, uh, if we take a second, you're like, well, okay, why are they doing this to me? It's not personal. It's it, This has to do with their childhood. It has to do with their desperation for superiority to mask their deep, deep, you know, valley of, of devaluation that they feel. And so... Uh, so I get it. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily mean that we put up with it, but it certainly does make it more accurate. All right, let's take a break. Hey, deserving listeners. As y'all know, I am constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. Well, one of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp. If you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to BetterHelp.com/Kirk. Make sure you use the promo code Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it really helps us out. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist, which is great because you deserve it. And I know also that it can be hard to find a good fit, find the right one for you. Well, one of the options available in terms of your shopping is to go to betterhelp.com Kirk. I've been told you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I've also been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy, and you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide. So go to betterhelp.com Kirk to get 10% off your first month today. All right, we're back from the break. So this next question, what are some ways to reduce friction with a narcissistic person in a work setting? End of question. I'm guessing I'm going to get a lot of these kinds of questions. I already have. I, I don't know how to answer them because I, I don't know what you mean. Like I, I was saying earlier, uh, narcissistic personality doesn't describe someone or their behavior, really. It just describes their condition. But it doesn't um, tell me what you're dealing with, you know, because a narcissist, quote unquote, narcissistic person could exhibit a whole variety of behavior. So I, I don't know what to say. But generally, what I'll throw out some options. One, you can avoid them, you know. Uh, people with personality disorders can be so distorted in their perceptions and thus so problematic with their emotions and behavior that there's nothing you can do other than avoid them. And I've done that before with people with personality disorders at my work. There are people who I absolutely have diagnosed uh, years ago with personality disorders and have tried to work with and just decided there's just no point. I'm not, I, 
they will and and did traumatize me. It's, so I would just um, I would just avoid them. So that's one option. The other is to uh, if someone is narcissistic, is to let them talk and value them. Uh, they they want to talk and and so maybe if you have to deal with them, you would say like, well, I'm going to dedicate 45 minutes every day. Uh, of where I just know I'm just going to listen to him talk and yammer at me for 45 minutes about things I don't really care about. And I'll just praise them for an hour because that's functional for my life or something. I don't, of course you don't have to do that, but if that seems to be one way to maybe get them on your side or something, um, you know, draw boundaries. Like I guess I, I, it's hard for me to know without having more context. All right, this next question. If a couple comes to you for therapy and one is narcissistic, how do you navigate the conversations without them feeling as though you are taking sides? Uh, this is a great question, actually. I don't think I've ever been asked it before. So there are many strategies. So this mainly pertains to early couples therapy because uh, later in couples therapy, like the other day, I was... Um, okay. Do I go into this? Yeah, why not? So, uh, as I've been telling y'all, my life is, um, just extremely chaotic and busy right now. And, uh, I am managing, but I'm kind of discombobulated at times. Things will calm down over the next couple of months, I think, yeah, or maybe sooner. But this week, I was having a very chaotic day and I looked at my calendar and I saw that I had a client at a certain time and I don't have that many clients right now. So it's not like I have a whole eight hour stretch of clients uh, these days. And so, um, you know, I'm, I made note of it. It's okay. You know, I, I have to make sure I'm in my office and comfortable and ready to go for that session. Cause I'm still doing phone sessions uh, because Delta blah, blah, blah. And so I uh, went on with my day and my day got real weird real fast and became very chaotic and the dogs were involved and dogs are okay, but you know, I just saw these things going on. And then all of a sudden, uh, and it, my clients call me for sessions, you know, so my clients called me and, uh, and it was a couple and I didn't recognize the phone and normally the phone number on my phone. And normally I don't answer the phone if I don't recognize it, but I thought, well, maybe I answer. So I answered it and, and I, it turned out to be them. And I suddenly realized, Oh my goodness. Um, this is, I'm supposed to be, <laughs> be a therapist right now. And I wasn't in a mindset for it, you know, and I was completely not in the right place. And so, um, uh, why am I saying this? Oh, I'm saying this because I, I've been seeing this couple for many years and uh, I apologized up and down and explained that it had to do with life circumstances. And, uh, but I said, that that's no excuse. It's just, you know, uh, I, I take this very seriously. And they said to me, look, we've been working with you for many years and something like this happening, you know, once in so many years is not going to concern us. <laughs> you know, they're like we, we know you and feel safe with you to such an extent that you forgetting about an appointment, uh, isn't a big deal to us. We know that you care, that sort of thing. And so I say that because you 
can depend if you've done your job right on a very strong relationship years down the line that that if you had a narcissistic member of a couple, you wouldn't have to have a lot of strategy around it because there would be safety for the narcissistic person. Anyway, so most of this has to do with early strategies. So, you know, if a couple comes in and I notice that one person has narcissistic traits and I wouldn't know that they had narcissistic personality sort of off the bat because it takes me a long time to assess that. But how do I navigate it? Again, I would be mostly concerned with the, you know, sessions one through 20 or something. And uh, one strategy is to, uh, and this is, I think, maybe usually what I do, is I allow the person with narcissism to be superior. The couple has already oriented an adjustment for the narcissistic individual anyway. And so the partner will often be used to listening a lot. They, they don't like it, but, you know, it's not the end of the world to them. And so... I might join the system by joining their rules of the game, which is to allow the narcissistic person to talk a lot and to have the other person not talk very much. That's not a very good feeling as a therapist, but I might have to do that in the beginning just to um, adjust and to help the couple to feel comfortable, particularly the narcissistic person. So I'm going along with some of the pathology with the couple in the beginning, knowing that eventually, knowing that I have to in order to get them to feel safe so that I can change it later. Another strategy is to talk as if the narcissistic person isn't narcissistic. So like one of the things that I'll do is, you know, the, the narcissistic person might be talking over or might be having trouble with empathy or might be really self-centered and, and not uh, concerned with what the other person's experience is. And so I will say something like, and I know that I'm doing this in a strategic way. I will say, well, I know that deep down you can see that your spouse is hurting. And because uh, I, I, yeah, I just know you're a human being. Of course you care about your, you know, so let me back up. So let's say that I, I had a couple where um, the wife is being vulnerable and the husband is being very self-centered about it. You know, the husband is like the wife is saying like, yeah, you know, this marriage has been kind of tough on me and I, I really want it to work. And, but sometimes I get really sad. And the husband says something like, um, I don't know what she's talking about. Our, our relationship is perfect. I don't know. So, some kind of thing like that. Well, you know, I might say something like, to the husband, I might say something like, okay, you know, I, so I'm hearing this conversation and I think it's good. Uh, husband, I, I think it's clear that, you know, deep down you can feel the pain of your wife. Uh, I'm sure of it because you're, you're her husband and you feel those things. And it, it might be hard to just feel that. It might be hard to see that without having it feel like a threat or something. So, in this instance, I'm assuming humanness in the narcissistic individual, which of course is 99% accurate uh, or likely. And I am speaking to that person in a number for a number of reasons. One, I'm helping out the wife by saying, look, I know he just said something that was really insensitive, but deep down I know he cares, and it, but he's struggling because of a threat that he feels there's some there's some kind of threat that he feels from that the other purpose is i'm trying to lay the groundwork for self-awareness for the narcissistic person 
Um, now the problem with this is the narcissistic person could look at me and say like, no, you're an idiot. I'm leaving. And so I I have to gauge that. The other strategy is to talk explicitly about taking sides. So I might be very down the middle and 50, 50 in the first 20 sessions. And the narcissistic person is like, Hey, you know, this doesn't feel right. And I, I might say, so I'm getting the impression like you think I'm taking sides against you, but that's just not the case because, what I am doing is I'm on both of your sides. And so that means that I'm going to listen to you a lot and I'm going to listen to your spouse a lot. And that might feel like taking sides, but you know, I'm on both of your sides. I'm deeply on both of your sides. So I might have to talk about that very frequently. Um, and along those lines, I might have to do a lot of repair work. And this is true for a lot of personality disorders, particularly cluster B is the principle of, it's okay to make mistakes as a therapist. It's it's okay to step on landmines. It's going to happen with personality disorders. But it's it's how you react to it afterwards is the key. It, you know, expect ruptures to happen and expect you're going to have to do repair work. In fact, with a lot of people with narcissism or borderline or histrionic, I, I just work it into my treatment plan. I'm like, okay, what what's the likely landmine I'm going to step on and what am I going to do about it? Um, you know, that might mean like, I remember years ago I was working with a couple and I stepped on some kind of emotional landmine with the wife and she became convinced that I had betrayed her when I hadn't and was, um, blowing out of therapy and she, she didn't want to come back. And so, um, you know, a couple of weeks, or I think they said they would schedule. They're like, okay, well, we're having trouble with our schedule. We'll, we'll call you or something. And then a couple of weeks went by and it just occurred to me like, wait, they haven't called me back yet. That's kind of weird. And so I gave it another week maybe. And then I, and then I sent them a long email and I said, so I haven't heard from you in a few weeks. And I'm guessing what happened was during the last session, I said or did something that really hurt your feelings. I'm speaking to the wife and, uh, you know, I understand that, and I, I'm really sorry about that. I could see why that would hurt your feelings. Uh, of course, it doesn't help that you have these traumas from your life that um, I, of course, am being insensitive about by not being careful around those issues with you. And, and I just want to tell you that I'm dedicated to you, and I really want to help. Um, I don't know if that was over email or phone or whatever, but anyway. Uh, so I communicated that to the client, to the couple, and they came back. So that's an important step in the treatment of personality disorders that um, adept personality disorder specialists know very well and a lot of therapists do not. All right, this next question is, you mentioned that the best depiction of narcissism is in the movie There Will Be Blood. The main character was not remorseful. Yeah, so just chiming in here. I don't know if it's the best depiction of narcissism. I might have said that, uh, but it is among depictions of narcissism. It it is that and um, the talented Mr. Ripley are two examples of depictions where I can actually get behind and say, yeah, I mean, we because in my evaluation of movies, I can't remember my the sort of criteria I was having, but I think it was is there enough data that gives us enough reason to think that someone actually has a personality disorder like narcissism? Uh, Because some movies, there will be a little bit of data, but not enough to diagnose from afar, you know, whereas a movie like 
There Will Be Blood or Talented Mr. Ripley, we the movie is written and depicted in a way that there's a lot of data about personality and about narcissism. Now, with Talented Mr. Ripley, you could also say borderline, potentially. Um, the other criteria that I had was, is it done in a way that is non-stigmatizing? Because I don't think that There Will Be Blood or Talented Mr. Ripley helps with personality disorders. Now, they're not trying to depict personality disorders, but um, they, they, I think they are. But they, you know, There Will Be Blood and in... Um, uh, uh, Talented Miss Ripley, spoiler alert, the individuals murder people. And whereas the vast majority of people with personality disorders never harm anyone in that way. And so um, is it the best depiction? No. But uh, if, if you look sort of at the personality traits rather than the sensationalized storyline, then it's one version of narcissism for sure. And like I've been saying, narciss- people with narcissism are not a monolith, you know. Uh, but anyway, so you say here, can't narcissism, just like borderline, manifest in many different ways? Yeah, just chime in here. Yeah, absolutely. Going back here. My parents made me doubt every thought or emotion I had. They always said I was wrong or to blame. They exploded in rage and allowed others to abuse me sexually and physically. They abused their own children. Yet they were two of the most nicest and kindest seeming people to the outside world, but they had zero insight into their behavior. It was so painful and invalidating to grow up that way and to have the outside world see something so different from what my siblings and I saw. Why does this type of narcissist never get talked about? End of email or question. Right. So did your so what we have here are the the facts that I'm hearing, which I do not doubt is that your parents were abusive, okay? They harmed you. They uh, they said you were to wrong, they you, they said you were to blame and that you were wrong and they never took responsibility. They exploded in rage and anger. They allowed others to abuse you sexually. They physically abused their own children. And yet, to the outside world, everyone saw them as nice and kind and wonderful and thought, "Oh my god, what a wonderful family." Okay. So those are facts. Now, what was wrong with your parents? That is a question mark. And you are telling me that your parents had narcissistic person. They were narcissists. Actually, you're saying they were narcissists. Again, as I've been saying, I don't know what that means. Are we talking like they lack empathy? Like they're really self-centered or they're selfish? Um, Okay. Uh, or are we talking about narcissistic personality disorder? Because if we're talking about the the construct of the disorder, um, I, you know, I don't know based on your description that they suffer from that. Because there's a lot of roads to being abusive as a parent. There's a lot of roads to being abusive and narcissistic as a parent. You could you could be borderline as a parent and come across as narcissistic and be and be abusive. You could be psychopathic and antisocial and be abusive and harmful and exploitative and come across as if you're narcissistic. So I don't know, but let's just, let's just say that your parents did suffer from narcissistic personality disorder. Um, what, what was going on there? Yeah. So, and not everyone with NPD is like this, but so you're devalued as a child. 
and you learn, and maybe even abuse as well, so you're modeled bad behavior, but you learn that you need to assert your superiority over other people. You might even need to assert your superiority in a physical way in order to feel good about yourself. And you learn this at the age of two, three, four, five years old. This can develop sometimes when you have siblings that are all being neglected and the siblings in order to gain some semblance of self-esteem will bully their siblings, that kind of thing. And then you grow up and you have no self-esteem. And so you you have a, a, a spouse and you have children and your children are disappointed in you because you're not a very good parent. You're not, you don't listen very well. You don't have a lot of empathy and really all kids are, you know, well, most kids are snots to their parents. You know, any parent out there who has kids knows that, that your kids can be really insensitive to your feelings. <laughs> it's, it's one of the hallmarks of being a, a good parent is to, uh, you know, withstand moments of being devalued by your own children. And so, uh, you know, hashtag not on children, but, but hashtag many children. And as a, if you have no self-esteem, and you need to assert your superiority and you can't withstand criticism at all because it it pushes back the curtain and reveals your vulnerability, then as a parent, you're not going to be a very good parent. You're going to react very poorly to your kids and you're not going to react very well to criticism and you're not going to react very well to your kids not worshiping you all the time. And so you might abuse, you might hate, you might get angry and you might be very harmful to your children. You might not have, have any attachment to your children. And, your ch- and as a child growing up with a narcissistic parent, you might feel very, very bad about yourself and, and very harmed in that way. So that's how narcissism can lead to that kind of behavior. But you ask the question, can narcissism, like borderline, manifest in many different ways? Um, I think you're asking this, you know, in terms of can... Some people can, you know, the narcissist in There Will Be Blood, can other, can there be other manifestations of narcissism? Yeah, a hundred percent. If if I told you every case that I've worked with of someone who had narcissistic personality disorder, you'd be amazed at how different they all are. Different professions, different vibes, different, you know, introverts or extroverts or, you know, nerds or uh, you know, shooting guns kind of people or different genders, different sexualities, different, you know, everything, everything, you know, just, it runs the gamut. And, um, you know, some of them were very caring. Some of them weren't, some of them were good listeners, you know, some of them weren't, some of them were very annoying to work with. Some of them weren't, (laughs) um, I will say I, I was, lucky enough to work with a lot of people with personality disorders that were, I don't know, I would say on the easy side of the spectrum, particularly later, later in my life or early in my career. I, I feel like, I don't know if I just remember the bad ones, but I came across a lot of difficult individuals with personality disorders in my first, I don't know, five, 10 years of being, a, I don't know. all right, I got to race through. Let's get to another question. All right, this next question, what is the best form of treatment for someone diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder? Yeah, good question. Well, it really depends on the goal. And of course, if you read the literature, they'll they'll talk about certain manualized treatments that I, I don't really get excited about. But it depends on the goal. You know, if someone with narcissistic, people with narcissistic personality disorder come into therapy for a variety of reasons. 
They might come in because their relationships are falling apart. They might come in because they're depressed. They might come in because they're being forced to because they were violent or something, you know? So there's a lot of different reasons why someone would come in. And uh, then even when you have different reasons, you have different objectives. Are you focused on awareness or they're improving their relationships or emotional regulation? Or are you interested in getting rid of the personality disorder altogether, which does happen? You know, I've treated people with uh, several different disorders and found that by the end of the treatment, you know, uh, period of a few years or more, they didn't meet criteria for the diagnosis anymore. And so, um, what are we looking for? Are we looking, are we looking at 20 sessions of awareness of narcissism? Or are we looking at, you know, 300 sessions of eradication of the symptoms? So, uh, there are many different forms of therapy that can help. Um, obviously anything involving emotional awareness and regulation would help. But the key, I would imagine, uh, for most people with narcissistic personality disorder is that the clinician understands what the disorder is, understands where it comes from, and thus understands how to, how to cure it, how to help someone, e- even if it's in the short term. You know, I, I treated people with narcissistic personality in the short term, and I knew where the landmines were, and I knew how to put them at ease. I knew how to... Uh, help them feel safe because that was always the thing people with narcissistic personality disorder if they feel safe which is actually really hard for them to achieve given their schemas but if you can make them feel safe they stopped acting narcissistic they start acting like a like a balanced human being same with borderline or any personality disorder if you can help them feel safe they don't need to adjust their world to feel safe you know narcissism is a is a desperate attempt to achieve safety. Now it doesn't work for them because they're they're using a two year you know they're using a method they learned when they were two as a way of coping with the world. It, you know, it's not working for them, but that's what that's why they're doing it. So if you make them feel safe, then they don't need to do those things anymore. Anyway, so forms of therapy. If it was psychodynamic and it understood narcissism. If it was schema therapy based, I imagine that would be pretty effective. CBT, if they understood narcissistic personality disorder, DBT, you know, pretty much any form of gestalt therapy. I could, uh, internal family systems, really any form of therapy, as long as it understood the foundation of narcissism, I think would be fine. All right, this next question is, Covert narcissism seems very subjective. I worry that this label could be used against someone. Sometimes just describing a difficult life can sound like you are expressing a victim mentality. What is the difference between someone who genuinely has had a very challenging life with little hope for change and a covert narcissist? End of question. So in order to understand this question, I feel like I have to read between the lines. So it sounds like this person is saying, look, I am or I know someone who has genuinely had a very challenging life. And I, when I talk to people, it, you know, people might label me as being a covert narcissist because on the internet, it says that covert narcissists will have a victim mentality. That's what it sounds like this person is saying. So... If that is true, which I'm, you know, obviously making some guesses here, 
uh, you know, labeling someone or diagnosing someone as a covert narcissistic personality disordered individual based on someone describing their life as being difficult is absurd. <laughs> so, um, and is this more evidence that the internet needs to calm down uh, regarding their usage of these extremely complicated? Uh, and I've said this before. I I went to graduate school for many years and taught for many years about narcissistic personality disorder and did not understand the disorder until I worked with dozens of people with the disorder and matched that up with the literature and matched it up with, you know, the 150 years of psychoanalytic literature. And then I barely understood it. Then I did a deep dive on narcissism a couple years ago and understood it a lot better. And I thought about it more and I treated more people. And so to understand narcissistic personality disorder or covert narcissism as a part of narcissistic personality disorder, that is my path. That's 25 years of, uh, you know, off and on reading, treating, getting supervision, thinking, podcasting. And then a, an understanding emerged. Um, you can read the symptoms, but that tells you nothing about what it is to experience someone with narcissistic personality disorder. So, um, and all the different manifestations of it and all the different kinds. And, and so, uh, Anyway, but you, you, you're like, uh, the, it sounds like what you're saying is the construct or the way covert narcissism is described. Well, the first thing you says is covert narcissism is very subjective. Yeah, narcissistic personality disorder is subjective. And this would uh, drive people crazy when I would say this in graduate school, particularly professors that were teaching certain classes. I'd be like, so, you know, it's sort of in the eye of the beholder, right? And, the, you know, these professors, no, no, no narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. This is a real thing. And we, you know, we use our instruments and all of our scientific power to determine if someone has the disorder. And in the back of my head, I'm like, do you not understand the, <laughs> these are subjective things. It's not a hard science. You're, you're making a judgment call as a clinician. And, and I'm, and I applaud you and I do it too, but to claim that you have some kind of hard scientific evidence in the same way that someone can point at the sun and say the sun is X amount of miles away from us because of using lasers and triangulation. So, um, and Einstein's theory, we can determine how far the way the sun is. Um, that's hard science. Uh, you know, labeling someone with narcissism is not hard science. It's a, it's a, it's a subjective call. You know, you're using all your powers of, 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 you know, your clinical powers and education and, and, and you're doing it in the effort of trying to treat someone. But, but it's it's not a hard scientific thing anyway. So the the notion that you know you're saying isn't covert, you know covert narcissism seems very subjective. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, what is covert narcissism? Well, it's it's complicated. And listen to my whole deep dive that's available to patients only on on narcissism. But in a nutshell, covert narcissism is full blown narcissistic personality disorder. But the person is in more connection with their deep inferiority. And they're often not outwardly grandiose. So they're, they're more like quiet narcissists. Um, they might be less entitled. They might not brag as much. They, they can be shy, actually. And uh, essentially what's happening is that it, it's much more internal, the narcissism. They, they have a deep inferiority. They have a deep need for superiority. And they're, they're sort of quietly and secretly superior to other people. They might also kind of know that it's... Uh, distasteful to come across as a narcissistic individual. And so 
they have all these um, elaborate stories that they tell themselves about their grandiosity, but they don't share it with other people because they know that would make them look bad and they don't want to look bad because they want to seem superior. And to to be a braggart makes you look inferior. And so, so covert, the reason why it's called covert is because the narcissism isn't very easily... Uh, observed whereas an overt narcissist is pretty you, you'll notice them right away you know they they over talk they brag a lot you know they seem very interested in letting you know about how awesome their car is or how beautiful their wife is or you know there's they're always bragging they're always making sure that you know their superiority is known whereas the covert narcissist you, you just won't notice it as well they're suffering in the same way but um they're hiding it because they don't want to come across as in fear. They, they don't want to, by, you know, asserting their superiority, they don't want to become inferior and, or they're like I said, they're kind of in connection with their, they're, they're vacillating more often between inferiority and the superior veil. And they might have longer bouts of time where they, they really do feel like a you know a piece of crap. So your question is, um, you know, what is the difference between someone who generally has a very challenging life and little hope for change and a covert narcissist? Well, I would say everything is different. <laughs> I don't think those. So it sounds like what you're saying is you're reading on the Internet that people who talk about their victim life, you know, their victimhood, that that's a sign of being a covert narcissist. What? All right. So next question. Hi, Dr. Kirk. I've often wondered about how highly narcissistic person views and experiences their world. For instance, when in conflict with a loved one, are they aware of using dirty or toxic argument tactics, or are these unconscious habits sprouting from an underlying narcissism? Thanks a bunch from patron Steph from Calgary. Uh, so it's a good question. And I, this is one of the misunderstandings that's on the internet. Uh, and among the lay folk and among many clinicians, frankly, as well, is that, yeah, uh, narcissistic people are not aware that they're doing narcissistic things, usually. Um, personality disorders, in a nutshell, is a perceptual problem. To the borderline, they see abandonment where it doesn't exist. To the narcissistic person, they see devaluation where it doesn't exist. And so when they see things that don't exist, and that's why we called them borderline was because uh, in the early days of psychoanalysis in the thirties and forties, uh, psychoanalysts thought these people were delusional because these people saw abandonment when it wasn't there. And they, they almost like invented things that you said that you never said uh, abandonment type things. And they're like, I think this person is like paranoid schizophrenic. And then over time they're like, no, they're more sort of borderline schizophrenic or borderline psychotic. And so uh, it is a very strong perceptual distortion that these people have. So when you feel like you're being devalued, then you feel very, very hurt and very, very harmed. And when you have this perception that you're superior and you and you deserve everything, you, you have this perception of entitlement, it's not a choice that you make. You, you have this really, really large perceptual distortion that you're entitled to things and someone steps on your toe and you're like, 
even though they didn't step on your toe at all. You know, like an example would be for a sort of classic narcissist is um, you are friends with them or you're, yeah, you're friends with them or you're an acquaintance and you say something like, hey, I got a promotion at work. Well, to everyone else, they'd be like, oh, good for you. Or they might have a little bit of jealousy. But to the narcissistic personality disordered individual, uh, this really, really hurts them because they're like, whoa, that person just got a promotion. I want to get a promotion. Everyone's looking at him as if he's as if he's doing well. And no one is looking at me right now and saying I'm doing well. And therefore, everyone thinks he's better than me. And he thinks he's better than me because he got the the promotion. And I feel like crap right now. I feel devalued. He is devaluing me. Everyone in this room is devaluing me. Okay, that is the distortion that's happening with narcissistic individuals. It is not a choice. It is not rational. <laughs> you understand? Personality disorder, and this is the way they talk about it on the internet. You know, you got to watch out for the, for the narcissist. He knows how to get you. It's like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> He, now, if he's a psychopath and a con artist, then yeah, he knows how to get you. But if he's a narcissistic personality disorder individual, he is operating on on vast amounts of fear, you know. And so he's trying to survive minute to minute, uh, regardless of gender of the individual. Anyway, so um, when you say you got a promotion and this narcissistic individual feels threatened and harmed and devalued and you know the world is crumbling underneath it's sort of like um in american psycho when the other guy gets the cool business card you know the inner dialogue that you hear patrick bateman saying is a narcissistic um you know threat and uh so that individual feels harmed they feel very much like they're being transgressed upon. They get very hurt and then they get very angry. And then they are, they exhibit behavior towards you that outsiders would label as dirty or toxic. So yes, it is not volitional. <laughs> they're not like, Hmm, today I'm going to be toxic. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, this next question, when dealing with someone triggered because of their own narcissism, is there any behavior that will calm them? So is there any way to calm down someone who was triggered in their own narcissism? It's hard to generalize, but I think uh, some things to think about are to, again, to understand their trauma. You know, if their trauma is devaluation and that's being triggered, then you want to value them. You know, a lot of time in early therapy with people with narcissism that I treat, I spent a lot of time valuing them in the way one might value a 13-year-old, in a way that a parent might value a child and say, you're special, you're, you know, I see you, Um, you're a good person, you know, I see you trying, the sort of things that a parent might say. So maybe that would help listening might also help because giving people with narcissism space is calming to them uh, depending of course um the topic of vulnerability you might want to avoid or dive into you know it depends on who you're talking to but you know some people might be even more triggered if their vulnerability is highlighted but others 
they might actually benefit, you know, and the clients that I worked with, that was always what I was trying to get, get to where as they were triggered in therapy, I would actually move into their vulnerability in a safe way. And they, uh, so as they're being triggered, I would go further into their vulnerability in a caring way and that would help them and help calm down. Um, maybe try to avoid pushing thing again. It, it just depends on who they are, but I'll just say that. All right. Next question. I have some narcissistic traits and I want to know what is the difference between narcissistic supply and the basic need to get some attention and praise from others. I am prepping for a major career move and have a lot of support and enjoy the praise about my progress, but I am afraid I'm doing all this out of a narcissistic need rather than because it's the best thing for me in the end. End of question. Yeah, that's a really, really great question. So essentially what they're saying is they've recognized they have some narcissistic traits. And right now they're you know, moving up in their career and they're getting a lot of support and really enjoy being recognized for their achievement and their progress. And as everyone would, but are they only doing it because they're trying to get narcissistic supply or are they doing it because it's the best thing for them overall? Well, there might be, there might not be a dichotomy, you know, like for me being 5% on the narcissistic spectrum, I get some of my narcissistic supply by y'all being nice to me, which uh, I thank you for, by the way, <laughs> being communicative about that is nice. Um, uh, so there's that. And I also know that this podcast is a wonderful outlet for me create creative wise um, provides a tremendous amount of purpose in my life, in my life of trying to help others and to improve, you know, increase compassion. And so uh, it provides some narcissistic supply and some, you know, good things. Um, so it, it's not a ex mutually exclusive thing, but the key difference, my friend is is it meeting your core needs? So narcissism and narcissistic supply are coping mechanisms to devaluation, right? Uh, but so the question you ask yourself is, okay, as I am moving in this career and getting praise, is this meeting my needs? Like my need for, for uh, feeling like I'm uh, like I, I accomplished something is it meeting my need for some recognition and attention from other people, um, some kind of normal need for attention? Or is this purely out of desperation and running away from devaluation? Now, that might be a hard thing to determine because potato, potato to some extent. And when you have narcissism, when you're higher on the spectrum, you also lack a sense of who you are. So you lack a sense of your own needs. So it'd be hard to know the difference, to be able to recognize your needs. But that's the key. Well, one of the keys of recovering from any personality disorder is knowing who you are and what your needs are. Because that is, and that is really the cure for almost, for a lot of problems in life is, who am I? How am I feeling? What do I need? Because if deep down at your core is a need for achievement and some public recognition 
or support or praise and it's and it's just a part of who you are you just you like that you know the actor who likes the applause or the stand-up comic who likes the you know likes the laughs or the artist who likes the people saying huh that's an interesting looking painting uh that's an okay need it, it's it's a normal human need that you know people have varying degrees of and various manifestations of but in order to know that that's where it's coming from you have to be in touch with who you are and that's a very um, uh, amorphous thing but that's how i answer that all right this next question i grew up with a mother who demanded that me and my siblings perform perfectly to reflect well on her and her narcissism our entire family revolves around managing our feelings and her self-image i know she's a complex person with real feelings but as an adult, I have a hard time understanding why she doesn't see us as individuals and still sees us as a reflection of her. This is not what the internet defines as narcissism, though, as since people on the internet seem to think uh, n- people with narcissism, their actions are intentional. But I really think my mom has no idea she's harming us by relying on us to all be perfect. Can you further define narcissistic traits or tendencies without just blanket as uh, blanket individuals as a narcissist blanket blanket labeling anyway, can someone have some behaviors but not be acting from an evil place end of question yeah i, I think i've already covered this but uh, what this individual i think is saying is my mom is narcissistic she would abuse us and uh, demand that we do everything perfectly because if we weren't perfect it would reflect badly on her and she was so vain and so needy of being seen as perfect to the outside world that uh, she was willing to sacrifice her relationship with us to make her look good to the outside world and this was very harmful but i do not think it was intentional i I don't I, i think she literally just saw us as extensions of her and the internet though sees narcissism as this intentional evil thing so, yeah, I mean, as you know, don't even get me started. The internet, uh, you know, so attachment uh, theory, the internet does pretty well with. Narcissistic personality disorder, the internet is very bad with. Borderline, the internet is 95% bad. Uh, the internet, uh, when it comes to narcissism, is like almost 100% bad. Um. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of weird, you know, again, I think it's because all of us have experienced people who we thought were being selfish in in relation to our needs. And it it just feels so good to label someone, you know, they're evil and they, they have narcissistic personalities or they're a narcissist and it it's vindictive, you know, that person hurt my feelings and I'm going to get them back with this evil label, but it's not an evil label. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, uh, let's, you know, review what this person is saying. They're saying that my mom was narcissistic and, you know, by extension, she, as a child, was neglected or, you know, something happened to her that she felt extremely devalued. And and let me go in a little bit of detail about that devaluation. So for some people, uh, you can be devalued in ways that are very obvious, you know, being abused. But you can also be devalued in ways that are very, um, maybe harder for us adults to understand. You know, when, when you're one year old and your mom 
got sick for six months and was in and out of the hospital as a as a you know 14 month old person you might feel devalued even though you're not being devalued even though your mom is coming in out of the hospital and desperately trying to get back home to spend time with you and is you know loving all over you when she's around you but you know she's just in and out of the hospital and so that can make you feel devalued and that can result in the the need for narcissism to cope and then that sustains until adult life. But anyway, so this person's mom had some kind of devaluation trauma and developed narcissism, this desperation of I need the world to see me as perfect. I need to believe that I am perfect. I need the world to be I need things that reflect on me to be perfect because if I'm not perfect, then very, very bad things will happen. Another um, uh, part of the trauma coping early in life that might be present, not always, is that the child learns if they are grandiose or superior in some way, they'll get more attention. So it kind of locks it in, right? So this mother grew up with that and then ends up having her own kids and lacks a sense of self, lacks, you know, is in constant anxiety about being seen as inferior. And everything this mother does is trying to make her look perfect to the outside world. And and since her kids are a reflection of her and maybe defined by her or society or something, she, you know, stomped all over her children in order to make sure that her children were perfect so that the world would see the children as perfect and thus she would be a perfect mother. And she is not happy. She is in a constant state of suffering, of anxiety, of devaluation. And that resulted in this person who wrote in their experience. You know, So there are many different manifestations of narcissism. And when we, just, when we see it accurately, there's nothing evil about it. It's a a, a you know a bad coping mechanism to a terrible situation that can cause people to harm others you know this mother abused her children by making her children feel like they didn't matter and and that's what's so insidious about this is that it spans generations uh, when you become devalued you tend to devalue others and thus the cycle continues not always but sometimes all right this next email or next question My mom's mom, my grandma, seems to have a narcissistic personality. Her mother, you know, my my mother's mother would play one sibling off another. She would tell my mom she was the cause of arguments between the parents. As a seven-year-old Catholic girl, my mom was told she was the devil's daughter. How can my mom live with negativity, judgment, and pressure to comply? My mom would like to know the long-term effects of daughters with a mother who did not hug or kiss or tell her that she loved her? End of question. Um, well, I'm sorry your mom went through that. I'm glad your mom can see it for what it is and that it's not the mom's fault. Obviously, going to therapy is the answer. You're asking, how, how can your mom live with negativity, judgment, and the pressure to comply? Your mom was abused emotionally by her her own mother, right? Like it's one thing to be harmed. It's not to be, another thing to be chronically harmed and neglected by your own parent. That is a lot to untangle and therapy is the best answer for that. Next question. I think my grandma has narcissistic personality. 
I want to cut my grandma out of my life, but I feel tremendous guilt about it. What if she dies soon and I wasn't speaking to her? But it is impossible to have a normal relationship with her. How do I deal with the guilt? End of question. Yeah, I get this question very often, very frequently. And I'm not saying that it doesn't annoy me, but the reason why I'm saying it is because it points to a lot of people with this question. A lot of people are dealing with this question. We have a society for, I think, good reasons that promotes this idea that you don't reject your elders, so you don't reject your parents or your grandparents, and that uh, there's you know many movies about like reconciling with your dad who you had a difficult relationship with and just how beautiful it is to reconcile. And, and we don't have a lot of movies or stories about you know, rejecting one's parents as a way of, um, uh, of prevailing, you know, one movie that pops into my mind is, is Forrest Gump. When Jenny, it was implied was being abused by her father and her rejection of her father. And then how they bulldoze the building down. And, and so I think there are, um, you know, glorified stories of rejecting one's abusive caregivers but there's not a lot. And so I get this question a lot and, and I, you know, I get the dilemma because on one hand, there's a lot of guilt. Um, that the thing you want to ask yourself, is that guilt from the inside or is that guilt from the outside? Cause if it's guilt from the outside, meaning you feel guilted by others, then you really shouldn't regard that. That's not a good, usually not always, but it's not in this instance, I don't think it's such a great guide, but it might be guilt from the inside. Maybe you should be doing more. Maybe you shouldn't cut her off. Maybe you should just draw some boundaries. But it comes down to what do you need, you know? And the other thing I'll say is that this is a tough decision. There's there's nothing I'm going to be able to tell you to um, know what to do. And you're not asking me for that. You're asking, you know, how do you deal with the guilt? Um, feel the guilt, you know? F- just feel it. So what is the guilt telling you? Is the guilt a very good guide? Um, you know, uh, there's no easy, there's no good answer to this because there's no, you know, I, I, I wonder sometimes if as Westerners, we think that there's an answer to all life's problems and there, there is not definitely. And in this one, there's not. So on one hand, you stay in it and you uphold, you don't, you don't feel guilty, but you're being abused essentially, or you leave and you're free and you're no longer being abused, but you have guilt and you may be being shamed or guilted and you're worried that, yeah, what if she dies? And I was, wasn't, you know, I blew her off and I wasn't there for her. You know, you're going to feel the guilt. So, but the thing is, is that's not your fault. That's your grandma's fault. <laughs> your grandma is putting you in that position. So don't blame yourself for that. All right. So next question True NPD means the person lacks insight into their behavior, not just that the person's behavior is selfish. Could you discuss what lack of insight means and how it looks in session when working with someone with narcissistic traits or narcissistic personality disorder? End of question. Yeah, it's a good question. And, and it you know, uh, this, the person asking the question understands what we've been talking about thus far, which is that it's not the person just being selfish. It's they lack insight. And what that looks like is, as I've been talking about, a misinterpretation of threats of devaluation. 
they see th- they see threats of devaluation everywhere and are very sure of it and are and feel very very scared of it and are very hyper vigilant and hyper focused on making sure that everyone understands that they have value so they lack insight into that in that they distort and completely um exaggerate these threats the other thing is is that they lack insight into their denial of emotions dependency and vulnerability and this is something i work on a lot with people with npd is understanding that they have emotions understanding that they have dependency and attachment understanding that they are vulnerable and i know that i've reached a certain phase in treatment when they as clients will come to me independently and say that they are trying to get in touch with their vulnerability. They're terrified. People with narcissism are terrified of not only recognizing their vulnerability, but particularly expressing it. It is terrifying to them because often their trauma involves a denial of their vulnerability when they were young, meaning that they were very vulnerable and expressing it when they were 18 months old and no one cared repeatedly. So, um, yeah, they absolutely lack insight into that. Um, but you know, therapy is about discovery. And when we discover those things, I, I, I almost always see clients light up with excitement and, um, validation of like, yeah, you know, cause deep down People with narcissistic personality disorder can seem like they don't care, can seem like they don't have emotions, can seem like they don't depend on anyone, like they don't need anyone. And they believe that about themselves. But deep down, oh boy, do they have emotions? Do they have needs? Do they depend on others? Do they do they desire to just fall into someone's arms and have that person take care of them? They desire it perhaps more than anyone else on the planet. And so when we get there, uh, it all comes pouring out. Not without its transference and those problems, though. All right, next question. Can a true narcissist ever overcome his or her narcissism? Yes, um, I've already answered that, I think, sufficiently. Yes, they can, quote unquote, overcome, meaning that they heal from their traumas and thus don't need the defense mechanism of narcissism and thus don't exhibit the behaviors that qualify them for the diagnosis. Next question, is being narcissistic something that you are doing in order to keep safe? Just chime in here. Yes. Going on. Are they narcissistic so they don't have to be vulnerable? Just chime in here. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Because there's this idea that if you come across like you don't have any needs and that you're superior and you've got it all figured out, that's that's sort of the opposite of vulnerable, right? But because they have vulnerable uh, traumas about their own vulnerability, they not only are terrified of expressing their vulnerability because they don't want to be harmed by others, but they're also terrified of exp- of even letting other people know that they're vulnerable because they don't want other people to, um, you know, it's sort of like you're a, you're a 40 year old woman and you have narcissism. You don't want other people to know you're vulnerable because if other people know you're vulnerable, then one, they might make fun of you in a way that you felt made fun of or devalued when you were young about your vulnerability. But you also feel as though, not all the time, but you also might feel as though 
if they see my vulnerability and they don't take care of me, then that's also kind of a rejection of my vulnerability, if that makes sense. You also don't want to recognize your vulnerability to yourself. Because if you recognize your vulnerability, then you also have to recognize that no one is loving your, or no one is taking care of your vulnerability. And that's very, very painful to the narcissistic person. You also ask, so their weakness will be, uh, do they, do they feel as though they are imposters and therefore put up this narcissistic attitude? Yes. But depending on their level of pathology, they might not be aware of that. There are people suffering from narcissistic personality who are so deeply you know, brainwashed by their own narcissism that they've they believe that they're superior, you know, truly. And they, they walk around with most of their conscious mind believing that they're superior. So they, the feeling of being an imposter is deeply, deeply buried. However, there are some people with narcissistic personality who have a much closer connection with that feeling of inferiority. And the very, very last question, and by the way, there, there was a whole... Uh, I asked for questions of gaslighting as well. I'll do an episode on that later. But this is the last question about narcissism. Is narcissism all bad? Is nar- Just a very simple little question at the end. Is narcissism just snuck? This question was just snuck in before the deadline. <laughs> is narcissism all bad? Um, I, I think I've kind of answered that already. But if I was to come up with some positive aspects of narcissism... Um, Research, I seem to remember, it's not in front of me, demonstrated that it might be protective against certain kinds of you know, troubles in life. Like if uh, your spouse dies, I think narcissistic individuals have more resilience because they don't depend on other people as much. Uh, avoidant attached individuals are also kind of like this. I don't know if that applies to narcissism, but I, I think it does. Um, I would say overall that's a bad thing, but I guess in the instance of trying to be resilient with loss, it's a quote-unquote good thing. Um, as we were talking about earlier, you know, you might achieve a lot more with narcissistic motivation. Uh, lower levels of narcissism, as I've been talking about, can be can be very helpful. And you know the the drive behind this podcast, like I've been saying, it is partially narcissistic, or and even the, the narcissistic uh, elements of wanting to make the world a better place. I mean, who am I to think that I could do that? But having a dash, you know, a five percent of narcissism. Uh, and, and you know, actually, I, I don't. I don't know if this is exactly true. And if Bob were here, he would say, come, "Kurt, come on, don't you know? Don't say that about you." But when I first started the podcast over 13 years ago, even before I started doing it, and, but even as I was doing it, and it was a pretty bad product for the first number of years, I had this vision that the podcast was going to be huge. I mean, not like it's going to, I don't know, be like huge huge but like in the podcasting world it it would i felt or hoped or you know geared my life toward this notion and and was very motivated uh throughout the time of the podcast that eventually the podcast would be 
relatively big. You know, like I said, a, a relatively big big podcast is actually very small compared to like a big YouTube channel or a big TV show or something. But I remember in the beginning just feeling like I know this can be good. I know it can be big. I know that um, we have the you know, basic components of something that could be amazing if we could just get enough people to know about us, you know, or if I can just kind of fine tune the product just a little bit more, I, I, I feel like this is going to be big. Now, why did I think that? <laughs> Particularly because there was no evidence of that. Two, uh, in the early days, the product was pretty bad. So why did I think that? Was it delusional? Was it narcissistic? You know, was it a delusion? Was it a narcissistic delusion based on this assumption that I'm superior and I'm gonna, I'm awesome, and of course my podcast is gonna be the best ever? Or was it based on some rational assessment of the landscape of podcasting in 2008? So one could say that a good side of narcissism in me was that you know was it. Was it the wagon leading the horse? Was my assumption of it being good lead, led me to persevere and then eventually I figured out how to make this thing good? Or did I always know how to make this thing good and it just eventually got like known it to be good <laughs> or something? <laughs> um, so, you know, mild narcissism has its... Pluses, you know, is the question, is narcissism all that bad? The answer is no, but there is a tremendous amount of suffering for both the individual with narcissism and those around them. Well, thank you all for submitting your emails and your quick questions on the survey about narcissism. Tune in later when I answer all the questions about gaslighting. And if you are not a patron and you want to listen to the full deep dive on narcissistic personality disorder, you can do so now by going to patreon.com, become a patron of the podcast, and then you can listen to the episode. One of the easiest ways is to go to the website once you're a patron, but anyway. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself and take care of others and listen to others and know your needs because you deserve it. You really, really do.